morning. My name's Chad, uh, one of the pastors here. I want to invite two special people up here, Josh and Mariah. That is not an illusion. That is Mariah Huffman leading worship this morning. Let's welcome them. So one of the things that we do around here, uh, my good friend, Pastor Brandon Ziske, used to say to us on staff, listen to Jesus, do what he says. And we continue to do that. And so a year ago, a little over a year ago, when Josh and Mariah told us what the Lord was saying to them, we were like, Ooh. but at the same time though, we trust Jesus and we trust his heart. And we say to our staff around here, don't be loyal to PV, don't be loyal to me and be loyal to Jesus. Listen to his voice no matter what. And so we celebrated and we grieved. And so as we come here a year later, the Lord has done some things in their hearts and we found out that they might be open uh, to coming back. And so we decided to pursue them <laughs> and to pray that they may hear the Lord's voice again. And uh, they said, yes. So we are super excited. <laughs> but one of the things that is, is so amazing is one, um, it was really important for them to go. As a young couple, as a young family, establishing yourself away from what has been your everything you've always known, parents, all that, it's really great to have family and parents, but sometimes there's a point where you're like, you know what, let's be the Huffmans, let's be us. And they also grew and they have a sweet little baby Judy um, who is also their family. Um, and we're excited to have her back too. But one of the great, amazing things as we look at people and as they grow, and we want this for you as well, no matter where you are in life, is that you keep saying yes to him. And so as the Lord showed us that they were coming back, some of the things that were new and different uh, was Josh definitely has those gifts and technical directing and kind of has that part, but he also has some pastoral gifts that have been brewing under the surface. And so he has also accepted a pastoral resident under missions and outreach. And we are thrilled to see what God is gonna do. And one of the things I remember him telling me a few years ago when he was deployed overseas, uh, their base was set up right next to a Syrian refugee camp. And he came back and he's like, my heart is just on fire for reaching people in the world. And so when he said, I wanna pursue that, we're like, hey, Let's do it. And so that's one of the things. And then also for Mariah, um, I remember her leading worship in student ministry um, and being in our youth group and just seeing the gift that God had and watched her faithfully serve as an intern and then as a resident. And now we are pleased to offer her associate worship director under Daniel working alongside. So we're just pumped. That's just the easiest way to say it. We are excited that they're here. And so I wanted to just tell you, I want to commission them. If you feel comfortable, you stretch out your hands. If not, if you want to be one of these, you can pray like this too. Um, <clears throat> but if you want to stretch out your hands, we're going to pray for them and just commission them. So let's do that. Lord, thank you for um, my brother and sister. Lord, what a joy to walk alongside for this season, Lord, together. Uh, we recognize the gifts that you've given them. We're so thankful, Lord, that uh, you decided that our staff here wasn't complete uh, without them and that what they bring, Lord, is unique and beautiful. And so, Lord, we just thank you, God, that we get to share in this journey together and pray a blessing on their ministry, on the things that they put their hands to, Lord. May many come to know you and many experience the presence of God because of what they do. 
And Lord, we are thankful for Josh, Mariah, and baby Judy. Uh, God, just keep uh, revealing that your hand is on their life. We see it, and we're thrilled to have them. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank, Thank you. you, guys. Let's give my hand. Well, happy 4th of July. I uh, hope you have great plans for today, stuff going on, throw some steak on the grill, some brats. We got brats at our house. Um, we should celebrate and, and believe God's hand, definitely, that we get to experience this morning. There are churches overseas <clears throat> in other parts of the world. They are not allowed to do what you do today without fear of punishment. <clears throat> we need to pray for them. Our compassion needs to be, uh, our compassion meters always need to be on the rise. I was listening yesterday, Uganda right now with COVID is experiencing tremendous rise in cases. The president of the country called for a day of prayer. They're asking that the Lord would help. We need to bleed for that. We don't need to be like, well, glad it's not me. I'm glad we got no more masks, right? We need to be, Lord, let your healing. Let your hand be at work around the world. We want to care about those things. And so while we want to celebrate what we enjoy, what we are blessed with, and we want to pray for our leaders, we want to obey what scripture says, we want to bear in mind that we are citizens of, we're dual citizenship, okay? We are citizens here, but we have citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. And so, man, live it up, shoot some fireworks, even though they're illegal, whatever you want to do. Are they? Are they here? They're legal? We're not. Pfft, no way. Not at our house. Um, but, you know, celebrate what the Lord has accomplished in our nation and have an open heart for people that want to talk about some of the things in our past that are difficult. Okay? We've learned that this past year. That's okay. That's okay to do. It can be both. We can celebrate and we can have a little bit of a mea culpa. Like, I see this. I see some of the things. Just even recently, I've watched a documentary on the plane recently. Chinese Exclusion Act. Until 1950, we were saying the Chinese people were subhuman people and could not be citizens here. Until 1950. I was like, who does that? Let me tell you who does that. Sinful people like me. That's, we need to hold those things loosely. We can celebrate and love what God has done, and we can pray for his kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. And I hope I've not offended you, but if I did, maybe good. I don't know. It's a good place to be. So happy 4th of July. I, I do want you to celebrate, and I also want you to hold these things as a citizen of the kingdom of God. It's a good thing. Good thing to be learned, good thing to be pressed. And for God to kind of have uh, a little bit where he's pressing on us. He's been doing that with me. There you go. I read a story this past week of a guy who last Sunday, last Sunday, said, I thought I was going to die. He said he heard these words, brace, brace, brace. Does anybody know the only place you'll ever hear those words? on a plane that's about to crash. That's what the stewardesses are trained to say to you. Brace, brace, brace. It'll be over and over, almost monotonous. Brace, brace, brace. And he said, my wife and I were sitting on American Airlines flight 2775 from Charlotte to Seattle. And it was announced over the loudspeaker, we are experiencing engine failure 
prepare to crash land. Hello. And he said, they're like, flight attendants are running up and down the aisles, checking seatbelts, yelling brace, brace, brace. People are crying. He said, I look back, there's a grown man crying. Everybody's anxious. And he said, my wife and I were sitting three rows from the back in the middle. And he said, completely helpless, not able to do a thing about what was happening. And he said, and everybody, he said, everybody knew this could be it. This could be it. He said, I turned to my wife. He said, I asked her some, he said, we were just reminding each other of the truth of the gospel. And he said, he said, I asked her, he said, hey, let's believe what, what the Bible says about what we've trusted in. Is there anything that you have done to accomplish your own salvation? She said, not a thing. It's all in Christ. It's all in Jesus. So a girl sitting next to them, she was crying and he just said, well, here we go. Here comes a 30 second sermon. And he said, if you die today, do you know what's going to happen? And she said something about growing up Catholic and purgatory. And she's like, I don't, I don't know. He said, it was the quickest sermon I've ever given. Just trying to say about the hope of the gospel. I don't know if you've ever been in that kind of situation. Uh, obviously he lived because he wrote it down. Um, they did land and everybody was like, oh, wow, good. We don't have to think about that. Have you had any of those moments in your life where it, you were close. Now, sometimes it does happen on planes. I've been on planes. If you talk to pilots and stewardesses, they're like, oh, please. Yeah. Like, you know, when you get up there and the, like the wings start doing this and you're like, oh my gosh, you know, you grab this. <laughs> it's like, everything's going down. We're going down. We're going down. Like, you feel like that? I actually listened to a pilot was telling me how they test the planes for the strength of the wings. He said, you know, you see these wings doing this. He said, when they test those from an engineering standpoint, they bend the wings to where they almost touch. So if you see it doing this a little bit, you're good. Um, he said they also, they know how to fly on one engine. He says, so if you hear engine, he goes, they still have to prepare you all this. He goes, yeah, it's no big deal. At the same time though, they didn't know that. And I've felt those things and you get into those things and then it goes away. But what happens when you start to think that things are reaching a brace, brace, brace moment? You think about life differently, don't you? Everything changes. You're focused. You're considering a lot of things. Maybe it's going into surgery. And they would give you the spiel. While it's very rare, this could happen. You know, those things, like you get those stuff and you, you have just, just a tiny moment, but you're like, oh, no, no, this, it's probably fine. So today's story and I want to prepare you, Jesus is saying, brace, brace, brace. And it feels like, just stop. Don't talk about this. This is too difficult. <clears throat> it won't be easy, but let's remember it's Jesus and he decided to tell the story. Luke 16, verse 14. If you don't have a Bible, we'll have it on the screen. You can just also sit back and close your eyes if you want. Just open them back up after we finish reading. <laughs> Here we go. Luke 16, verse 14. The Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all these things. Now that's a tag back to last week. Jesus just told that parable about the unjust steward and how he was like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? I'm getting fired. I better do something about my future. And then God kind of frames it and says, yeah, you need to do something about your eternal future. 
So he's talking to the Pharisees. They heard that. They were lovers of money. They heard all these things and they ridiculed him. Just mad. And he said to them, look, you are those who care what people think about you. You justify yourselves before men. God knows your hearts. What is exalted among men is an abomination. And the word there is just a pretty intense word to say detestable. God hates it. What is exalted among men, what you guys like, what you guys value is an abomination in the sight of God. And then Jesus goes on this little tour of the Bible and says the law and the prophets, which is code for the Old Testament. That's the Bible. That's what he's saying. So listen, the Bible has been until John, John the Baptist, his cousin, his buddy who was beheaded for preaching what he preached. He said, but now, since then, the good news, and if you hear Jesus say that, that's the euangelion, the gospel. Since then, the good news, and you can almost picture him going, the good news is preached. I'm here. And everyone forces his way into it, which if you look at other scholars, they say that's pretty much everybody is urgently trying to get in now. They're like, oh, it's here. Okay, I got to do this. Kind of that back to the shrewd thing. Be shrewd about thinking about your future. So everybody's excited to get in. But then he throws this out. But it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one mark, one dot of the law to become void. So don't think that anything in this book is just like, oh yeah, whatever. That is, that's not what he's saying. It's easier for heaven and earth to pass away. Oh, and then he tries this little side route. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. What? Why are you? You were just, you're, okay. And he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. Brace, brace, brace. And you're like, I had to come to church today. <laughs> you're going to hear difficult story, but an amazing God by the end, I hope. So, the Pharisees heard this and here's what they did when Jesus said the story that they just heard and then these few things. They were like, Kah! another translation says for ridiculed, they scoffed at him. It's like one of those words that sounds like what it is. What is that? Onomatopoeia? Yeah, they scoffed. Ugh. You just imagine them rolling their eyes. We don't know what they said, but there's a look probably. There's a sound. He's, he knows they're upset. They're mad at him for what he just said, for what he's implying about them. How dare you, Jesus? So when people get upset at Jesus, when you get upset at Jesus, why do we get mad at him? Why do we want to scoff at him? The why is more important than the what. The what is that they're scoffing. The why is, and here's what I felt like God just said to me this week. It's because we scoff at Jesus from a cold, hardened heart. So if Jesus says something to you and you're like, I don't like that, ah, it's because there's a part of you that is hard and cold and needs his hand to warm you up, to tenderize you. Have you ever had that when you're in an argument and your first instinct is, ah, and then after a while, you think about it and you think about the person you're in the argument with, you love them, blah, blah, blah. And then what happens? If the spirit of God is moving in your heart, what happens eventually? Do you calm down a little bit? Do you soften a little bit? Do you, you're like, oh, I'm thinking, I'm sorry. I was just really mad. 
You soften a little bit. Things start to happen and you're, you're ready now to maybe talk about some of those things. I put this, uh, pop, pop that back up there for a second, the emoji. There it is. Do you ever do this to people when you're in a conversation with them? You're talking, maybe it's you know, like, rah, 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 rah. But I'm, yeah, poop emoji. <laughs> I don't even want to talk to you anymore. Or you do the smiley face with the teeth. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Like you're like, whatever. It's kind of like the final way to, or you say a little phrase and then you throw a few emojis on there. It's like, what are they, what are they saying? What are they trying to say with all this? You know, I think that's kind of what we do with Jesus. He says something to us. We don't really want to talk about it. And so we just emoji him. We just throw something at him. So what is it for you? Just right now, if you had to say, God was like, you know what the issue is for you. You know what the thing is that if I talk to you about this, you're like, I don't want to talk about that. And this part of what we value, the Lord detests. What, what What do we value? Appearances, control, self-achievement, self-reliance, get her done, willpower. I don't need anyone or anything. I decide good old self. Fourth of July, Declaration of Independence. I'm independent of anybody's opinion of me. Did you know when you follow Jesus, you're actually making a declaration of absolute dependence on him? Complete dependence. We've said this before. Yes, we have freedom of speech in the United States of America. You don't as a follower of Jesus. You don't. He says, let your words be seasoned with grace. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is noble, don't slander. Don't, oh, 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 that's so different. So the Lord's rightly pointing out, hey, you guys value this stuff. I don't, I detest it. So how are they, and it's just a couple of things that you'll notice. There's two issues on the table. One, the riches, outward appearance. Second, was the divorce thing. What is Jesus trying to say here? How can you maintain a cold heart to God? You want the recipe? I'll give it to you. Rest your life, it'll work. You put this in the mixer, you put this in the oven, and for the rest of your life, I will guarantee a cold, hardened heart. You know what it is? You take this book and all the stuff in it, and you try to do any of it without Jesus. Any of it. You look at any passage and you read it without Christ. Cold, hard heart. Guaranteed recipe. That's what he's saying. That's what he's, that's why he's coming to this thing. The law and the prophets up until John. But now, here it is. So here's the thing. Jews believed God's voice had ceased. And the only time they would hear it again was guess when? When the Messiah came. When Messiah comes, he will speak. He will tell us the next phase of revelation. Who's standing in front of him? Jesus is saying, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one. I am speaking. You are scoffing. So religion without Jesus, guaranteed recipe for a cold, hard heart. Everyone is forcing his way in. Everyone is urgently responding. What's implied is Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, except you, what's your problem? (laughs) Why aren't you seeing this? So he says, not one 
letter. Not one dot or iota is another. Those are just marks in the Greek language will pass away until everything comes to fulfillment. So what was the problem? How can you be an expert in the Bible? How can you teach the Bible and not have your heart changed? You know, the Pharisees had memorized the answers to the test. Did anybody do that in high school, college? You've done it right now? There's some things you memorize for a test, but if I asked you right now, you would not know them. Remember those tests where they let you have one index card? You write the tiniest letters ever. It's like, can I bring a magnifying glass to to this test? It's like just the tiniest perfect, I got to get everything on here because I haven't done any work this whole semester. So I got to get it all on the card. (laughs) You can memorize the answers and not have it be a part of you. The Pharisees knew the answers, but their hearts weren't changed. Well, how do we know that? Well, they thought of riches as akin to righteousness. In other words, if I'm doing well, I have a good job, I have money, my house is a nice house, yours is not, therefore I am righteous, you are a sinner. Jesus is like, no, 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 (laughs) that is not it. You know what else they were doing with divorce and remarriage? There were a couple of schools of thought some rabbis that, that were teaching some things. Pharisees were all about it. One of them, his name was Rabbi Hillel. He said a man could divorce his wife for almost any reason, including the fact that he didn't like the food she put before him. I don't like this dish, divorce. And the Pharisees said, sure. And Jesus steps in and goes, case in point, that's wrong. That's wrong. Now, I... I don't want to, I'm not going to talk a lot about divorce and remarriage, except to say this. The Bible is not trying in this one verse to, with a black and white brush, paint over every situation. There are lots of situations that require grace, pastoral counsel, care, love. The Bible gives two reasons. Biblically, Jesus had one, Paul gave the other one, adultery and desertion. Well, let's just start with the first one. What did Jesus say adultery could happen? Right here, right? Anyone who looks lustfully at a woman commits adultery with her in his heart. So is that reason enough? How about desertion? Well, that's somebody that just leaves and goes away. Not necessarily. You can sit in the lazy boy, bring me a beer and have completely deserted your family, not upholding God's design for marriage. So what does God say about marriage? Yes, it is for life with one person. But Jesus also says, when he says, if somebody divorces, they commit adultery and remarries, well, guess what? That remarry is still a marriage. Jesus isn't saying, you did that, therefore this. He's saying, look, don't do it again. Don't do it again, but for sure, go back and own that, confess that place of adultery. So I'm not trying because I have met plenty of people. I've seen God do amazing things in marriages that have failed and God brings restoration and redemption and grace. So don't hear that. And we would love if you want to talk about those things, but what does Jesus point to the Pharisees? It's you're twisting things. Twisting it for what? To fit the culture to fit what people agree with. 
Would we all say in our culture right now that you pretty much can go with Rabbi Hillel, divorce for anything? Sure. In American culture, that is in Western culture, in the, the world. Yeah. If you just wake up and you're like, I'm just tired of this. I'm done. Jesus says for life. That is his intent. That is his heart. But again, his point is that the Pharisees are twisting things. Now you may be sitting there going, well, Jesus is on a roll today. Money, marriage, divorce. Boy, did I pick the wrong day to come to church. (laughs) Scoff. And in fact, I can almost hear Jesus' thoughts. Huh, that one bothered you? Well, how about this one? Verse 19. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. At his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. Blah. Is that, are you allowed to say that in church? Dogs licking sores? The poor man died, was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, another word for hell, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off. And there's the poor guy, Lazarus, at his side. It's the only time Jesus gives a name to one of the characters in his stories. The only time. Interesting. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water. Cool my tongue for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here. You are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. It's a very vivid picture, isn't it? You can see it. You can feel it. And it immediately brings up thoughts about a loving God and judgment. And one of the reasons I love going through books of the Bible, and we've been going through Luke now for almost a year, is that it forces you to not just skip something. You do a series, you can jump all around and just hit all the easy ones. Super fun. And then you get into these and it's like, man, I'm up again. That's a hard one. The Holy Spirit laid out this curriculum. Jesus told this story. Why did you tell that story, Jesus? I think he thought it was important. I think he wanted us to think about these things. The parable is brilliant, not only because it's Jesus, but because it takes something that you can touch here and now, your care for the poor. Okay, we brought it up this past month in our care for those less fortunate at the border. Politics, all that kind of stuff aside, still people in need. And it brings something that's very tangible right in front of you and it connects it to eternity. That's pretty amazing storytelling. Pharisees, not only rich, but they love money and they think their eternity is great. We're set, we're the Pharisees. Yet they don't care about the poor because their hearts aren't changed. So Jesus tells this story to them. Not another one, this one. That's what he thinks. You're not serving the poor. Your hearts are kind of cold. Hmm, let me tell you a story. This is the one. And notice it's intense. He doesn't tiptoe. 
He doesn't coddle them or say, now, listen, I'm going to say something really hard. It's, it's going to be hard. I'm going to use the H word. He just goes there. He just says, you need to hear this. And when God tells us parables, he's telling us about the kingdom of God. So what can we learn from this story? A few simple observations. I'm simple. I don't try to do theological gymnastics when I read the Bible, make it say something that it isn't. I, I believe that God is not cruel, that if you ask him for bread, he's going to give you bread, that he's not like, nope. Remember last week we talked about that? It's like, you didn't put in the right code. You can't understand what this is saying. I think he's wanting to give us simple things. So here's what we can learn. The life we live here and now matters and has an impact in the life to come. Can we all maybe agree on that one? Yeah. This is the story where Jesus gives a name to this character. A lot of people maybe believe it isn't a parable. Not so sure. But either way, Jesus is presenting it as truth, as something to consider. The rich man made a name for himself here. Lazarus' name endured in the afterlife. And once again, as in so many places that the Lord has been pointing out to me, the test of a changed heart is what? How we treat others. That's what he looks at. That's the evidence. That's the thing he says. You did it to me when you did it to the least of these. It seems to also be saying that there's a good place and a bad place. Basic surface reading. There's a good place and a bad place. Why? Because the rich guy doesn't like what's happening where he is. And Lazarus seems to be doing well. And he wants him to help him. A bad place is a place of anguish, torment, and one in which you want something to change. Anything is better than what is happening. Notice, though, that he doesn't ask to get out. C.S. Lewis said, nobody's in hell that doesn't want to be there. Doesn't ask to get out. He asks, actually, for the guy he always knew as a servant to come and serve him. Still stuck in his hard heart. The other thing is the rich man is aware of what is happening. He's not poof when you die. So there's a doctrine called annihilationism, which means like, yeah, okay, God is loving. God is just. And yes, he will judge people. There'll be people in hell. There'll be people in heaven. But the people that go to hell, they die and just, that's it. Because that feels better. He knows what's going on. He's aware. He sees. He actually asks for help from the person somewhere else. In case you missed it, Jesus just put hell on the map for you. In fact, Jesus talked about hell more than anyone. More than anyone in the New Testament, apart from one verse by his brother, James, who said that the tongue is set on fire by hell, every other mention of hell came from Jesus. And he talked a lot about it. If you just go home and do the trusty Google search or Siri, Siri, every single mention apart from James is from Jesus. I was eight years old in a Baptist church in Tennessee when the preacher scared me to the front. He was a guest preacher because people get tired of the, the guy that's normally there. And even I was a kid, I was, everything, Sunday as an eight-year-old is how far can I slip down in this pew and put my head on the back 
and keep my eyes open, but really be sleeping. <laughs> That's what I tried to do. Or I put my head on my mom's shoulder and she's like, no, like that. And man, I had so many walks to the car. I'd be like, can I go to Jason Skate's house? Can I do this? Like, she's like, no, you are in so much trouble. You're going to get a spanking. Why? Because of what you, how you acted in church, whatever, all that kind of stuff. And so this guy though, you know what he talked about? Hell. And I was scared. This is one time I listened. <laughs> and so at the end of it, good old Baptist church, sure enough, we got an altar call. We got just as I am pray, playing. And I told my dad, I got to go up there. And he's like, okay. We walked up there and this, remember, because the guy was just like, he just felt like a mountain of a man just kind of leaned in. And he's like, what do you want? Which I wasn't expecting. I thought I'd already done enough by walking up there. I said, I don't want to go to the place you're describing. This is the first step as an eight-year-old, but scared me to death. I don't want to go there. I don't think that's what Jesus is trying to do. I'm not trying to scare you into heaven, or scare you into following him, but he is telling us a little bit of like what the afterlife might be like. What is hell like? It's a place where the rich man longed for somebody to come and relieve his anguish. Abraham says, no, you received what you wanted. Your reward was on li in life on earth. You wanted the goodness and stuff of riches on earth and you rejected true riches. I love this verse. And I think that's the one that of all the verses in this passage, this one just sticks to me. Besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed. Dante's Inferno, the sign on the gate to hell says this, abandon all hope ye who enter here. Things accurate. A great chasm has been fixed. He cannot cross. You cannot cross. This is permanent. It cannot be altered. <clears throat> Now, most scholars agree that when Jesus talks about hell, the language and imagery he is using is metaphorical. Hell is like fire. It is like a place where worm does not die. It is like a place with weeping and gnashing of teeth. But as I listened to a sermon this week by Tim Keller, he said, it's metaphor to describe something much, much worse. That's our language fire, worm, weeping, gnashing of teeth. Those are things that we experience here. He says, this is an eternal thing. This is something you do not want. So when people try to explain it away, to say it's not that big of a deal, it was to the rich guy. He did not want to stay there. <clears throat> he wanted relief and help. So what's he doing? Jesus, why are you telling this? Are you trying to just scare people into the kingdom? So I love thinking about Jesus' ability to move a human heart. And I love thinking about what story they might need. So among the Pharisees, there are some who will believe. How do I know that? Later in the gospels, we got guys like Joseph of Arimathea, gives up his tomb. We have Nicodemus, was also a Pharisee, ruler. So guess who might be in the room listening? There's Nicodemus in the back. What's he talking about? I know the law. I know, I've studied this my whole life. And here he's 
what is this? What's happening in my own heart? Jesus is warning, for sure. He's warning. He's trying to draw them in. Current modern scholarship is trying to make a new path of understanding these passages. And they are trying really, really hard to get it to say something it just doesn't say. Why? Because it feels better. It goes better in your conversations with your friends. Jesus, you really hurt my feelings when you talked about hell. Well, it's okay. We can help you out, Lord. We can give you a better understanding. But here's the thing. It's new scholarship. It's 25, 50 years old. 2,000 plus years of understanding this passage. You know what they say? He's saying what he's saying. It's hell. It's a place that is real, that you, one of them, heaven and hell, one you don't want to be, the other you would like to be. I would encourage you to go with that understanding. Now, you may be scoffing. <laughs> you need to read some more, Chad. Get out and listen to some podcasts. And I do. And I have. And I was afraid to talk about these things. As a youth pastor, I was afraid to talk about I was going to be the cool pastor who knew how to <clears throat> kind of just, you know, this isn't really water. Let's talk about what it really, let's just, let's just drive around it for a while. We're talking about spiritual things though. I wanted to be that guy. But then when you finally get to a passage where Jesus is saying something hard, you're like, oh, wait, 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 no, let's, let's, let's really think about the, con let's just a conversation. We're just having a conversation. Jesus is just having a conversation. You got to try really hard to make it say what it isn't saying. It's exhausting to, it's exhausting <laughs> to try to do that. I read some of these guys and I've read some of them this week and you're reading it and you're going, what? What are you doing? Because what it says is, I said this last week and I say this often and I'm gonna keep saying it because I think it's something we need to hear. When somebody says, hey, in the last 15, 20 years, we have finally figured out what the Bible meant on this part. Those poor saps who lived for 2,000 years following Jesus, those idiots, they didn't know what they were doing. Don't do that. Don't do, these people died and followed Jesus. <clears throat> Jesus is a peacemaker, not a peacekeeper. I read that in my Bible in One Year app this past week encourage you, if you're not reading the Bible, join us. Bible in one year. You can start today. No, you're not behind. Just jump in, spend time with Jesus. He's a peacemaker, not a peacekeeper. And sometimes to make peace, the sword has to come and boom, hit that scoffing place and hit the place that is difficult for you. But I'll say this, if you want to go with the trendy interpretation, the one that says hell's not a really big deal, do it. I can't stop you. Go for it. I'll even tell you what books to read. Rob Bell, Love Wins. Go for it. I was reading some of it this week. He'll tell you everything you want to hear. Make everybody feel good. But I would encourage you, it's not the Lord's heart. It'll feel better 
but it's not the Lord's heart. So what is some of the stuff you might find in current interpretations? Well, one of them is, so the word for hell, Gehenna, is taken from the Greek of Hinnom, Valley of Hinnom, which it's, and I looked this up this week, and I was actually saying this too. There's a garbage dump, dump in Jerusalem, and that Jesus was just referring to the garbage dump, and look how there's smoke coming up, and that's just where they, there's no archaeological evidence that there was a garbage dump in the Valley of Hinnom. It's in so many commentaries, though. It's that embedded. You know when that actually became a thing? The year 1200. The year 1200 was when somebody was like, I think maybe it was a garbage dump. Another one, this was a freebie, by the way, uh, the whole thing of tying the rope around the priest's leg. Not in the Bible. Not in the Bible. You'll hear it all the time, though. Probably, I've preached it. Goodness, it's really cool. But it's not a real thing. So the Valley of Hinnom wasn't a garbage dump, but that's one of the main arguments that Jesus was just trying to say. He was trying to refer to the hell that we experience when we make bad decisions and trying to say, don't do that. Don't pursue that. You know what the Valley of Hinnom was, though? Place of child sacrifice to the God of Molech, which was a statue, and they would heat it up till the hands turned red with fire, and they would take their children and place them in the hands until the baby died. That was worship in Israel at one point. And God said, this is detestable to me, and I will judge you for this. Sure enough, he did. There were hundreds of thousands of bodies judged in that valley of Hinnom. So you know what New Testament people would have heard when they heard Gehenna? They would have been thinking child sacrifice, judgment, fire, not garbage dump. Oh, stay away from bad things. But that is what a lot of the scholarship is based on. You'll find people to say what you want to hear but I want you to believe what Jesus consistently said about it, which is this. It is after this life. It is conscious. You know what's going on. It is forever. It is punishment. It is banishment and destruction, but not in the destruction that's like annihilation, as in I am ruined and it cannot be changed. And the most important piece, it is right. It's just. It's something that he has decided. So one final thing about hell. You may be like, good. Your belief about hell is directly related to your belief about the gospel. If hell isn't that bad, then your gospel isn't that great. Which is where a lot of this kind of thinking goes. I've talked to them. Hell isn't this. No, it isn't. Jesus didn't really need to die. Jesus resurrected, but he resurrected in his ideas, resurrected. You're like, what is this? This is not anything related to what I've known. It's because it's not related to what you've known and what is true. Your belief about rejection of Jesus, the punishment that could come is directly related to what the gospel accomplished for you. So what do we do? As we finish up here, what do we do? Verse 27. So the rich man's like, okay, fine. We can't cross the chasm. So then I'm going to beg you, send people Send him, send Lazarus to my father's house. Tell him to warn my brothers. I don't want them to experience this, which just that should tell you. uh, It's pretty bad for him. Doesn't seem to be something that's not bad. 
I don't want them. And Abraham said, no, they have Moses and the prophets. So Jesus began talking about Moses and the prophets. He said everything from Moses and the prophets up till now, he's been preaching the gospel. He's finishing with Moses and the prophets. And what does he tell them? It is enough. It tells the whole story. He said, no, they really need somebody to come back from the dead. Then they'll turn. He said to them, if they don't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. So first thing I want you to notice, and we're going to finish here quickly, is his accusation that there wasn't enough information. I didn't have enough information. My brothers don't have enough information. You got to send somebody else. This wasn't enough. And Jesus is teaching, yes, it is. Yes, it is. The gospel is in there from the beginning. Genesis 3, you get the first hints of the gospel. Revelation tells you actually it was written sometime in eternity past. The lamb slain before the foundation of the world. This isn't plan B. This is plan A. It's being carried out. That's what Jesus says. I am the fulfillment of this. You do have enough information. Which leads us to this question. Which Bible did Jesus read? Old Testament, the Old Testament, which told every story, if viewed through him, would lead you to him. He's not gone to the cross yet. He's not risen from the dead. The New Testament hasn't been written down yet. And yet Jesus says, it's enough. It's enough to lead you. With the help of God's spirit, God's word will always point you to Jesus. Always. It's sufficient enough to get you there with his spirit. That's what Jesus said in John 5 to the Pharisees, you search the book, you know it, you've memorized the answers because in the book you think you have life, but you don't realize it's written about me. So one final thought from Luke 24, when Jesus gives, I think probably one of the best sermons ever, which they don't tell us what he said. Yeah. So when I get to heaven, it's like, I want to check out this sermon. Actually, Jesus, can you just give it to me again? I want to hear what you said. He goes through the whole Old Testament and he tells these runaway disciples who don't believe it's really happened, the resurrection, about himself in the Old Testament. A couple of examples. And I've been listening to my youth pastor, sermons by my youth pastor, Tim, who is now in heaven, who is now with Jesus. And so it just means a whole lot more that I listen now. Um, feel like I'm getting wisdom and mentored. And so I was listening to him about Jesus in the Old Testament. And he said, imagine Jesus standing with these guys. He's trying to get this same message to the Pharisees. And he says, hey, you know when Noah built the ark and they all had to get inside to be saved? Boys, I'm the ark. You know when David met Goliath and each nation had to send out one man Everything fell on one man's victory. Everything would rise and fall on one man's victory. I am the greater David. I won the victory. The Exodus, when they passed through the waters, the blood on the door, it's me. I am the key to the whole thing. If you read this book without Jesus, do you know what it says? Try harder, try harder, be good. Maybe you'll make it. Jesus says, I'm the key. I am the living word. I want you to know this is a real deal. 
the afterlife is a real thing. I am providing a way for you to be with me. Ironically, the story, and I'll have the worship team come on forward. The story that says, please send somebody to warn my brothers. And Abraham says, no. What is Jesus doing to the older brother Pharisees right now? Warning them. <laughs> He's telling them exactly what it's going to be like. He's giving them the warning. He's giving us the warning. I encourage you to lean into his truth and his heart. As we come to the table this morning, you can go ahead and start uh, making the sounds of communion, which is crinkle, crinkle. Um, the table is for those who have recognized Jesus as the living word, have accepted the life, death, resurrection, ascension, and eventual return of their king. You have said, I recognize my own sin. I want Jesus' record, his perfect record to be seen over mine. And a great visual of that is to see the father looking at your life and going, okay, let's see how you did. And you're like, no, no, no. And Jesus steps in front, pushes you behind him and says, look at me. This one is mine. That's, that is what it means to be in Christ, his record. If you've done that, this table is for you to remember, this is real. This is the real deal. Remember me until we share this in the future. If you haven't done that, all we ask is that you wait. We'd love to talk to you about it. We love the table invitation is open to you. God is inviting you, welcoming you there. So when Jesus sat down with the disciples, that same thought of the first Passover, the blood on the door. So he's, he's finally here. He's finally here. This is the meal. This is the one he's about to give himself as the bread of life. Since they were eating together, just imagine him. Here we go. Here we go, Father. I remember when we drew this plan in eternity past. Here we go. As they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it, gave it to the disciples and said, take and eat. This is my body. Let's partake together. He also took a cup. And don't miss what he says here because it's pointing to a future where there will be some sitting around the table and there will be some who will not. It's important. Took the cup. When he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant. And the implication there is avoid the wrath of God because the wrath of God, which is described in his word as a cup, he was going to drink the full wrath of God for us. Therefore, he's saying, so partake in me so you don't have to drink that. Let the wrath be on me. That's what you're saying. Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom 
somebody's gonna raise a glass and say, to the king. Let's partake together. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for saying hard things. Thank you for talking about things that cause us to scoff. Thank you, Lord, that the Old Testament wasn't try number one and the New Testament was redo. Lord, thank you that it was one story from the beginning. Lord, thank you for talking about hell. Thank you for caring enough about us to want what's best for us. Lord, thank you for being a holy and just God who doesn't just let sin slide. I know any of us here, Lord, if we had something happen to us, to one of our family members that was a pure, just sinful crime, evil, we would want somebody to have to answer for that. Lord, that's, that's holiness. That's your righteousness in us that wants that. So Lord, thank you for being one who cares about pure, just righteousness. Most of all, Lord, thank you for what you did after this meal how you poured yourself out unto death. Lord, in your mind is, I'm doing this so they don't have to experience that wrath. So they are not separated from me. And folks, the reality is apart from Jesus, we are already separated. That final step, if we've never accepted Christ, is just a continuation of a choice we've already made. Lord, would you just speak to our hearts as we sing this song in Christ alone. Lord, if somebody cannot say that, would you give them the courage this morning to come up here afterwards, pray with somebody, grab their neighbor and say, please, I wanna do this. I wanna be in Christ alone today. No, I don't understand it all. No, I don't get it all. I kind of scoff at some things, but I want this. Jesus wants it for you too. We bless you, Lord. Thank you for this time. Minister to us now as we sing. Amen. Let's stand together.